one more announcement that I neglected. This Friday, they'll be greening the church. If you want to come in at about 10 o'clock this mor- on Friday morning and help out, uh, I'm sure that would be appreciated. Okay? Let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2. As Jeremy said, it's not technically the Advent season, but uh, why not start it early? Um, we like those songs. Those songs are uh, uh, so often bound to our souls. We, we've sung them every year since we were uh, just little children, uh, and they are great uh, things of, of praise and, and expectation. This one, of course, to the coming of our Lord and Savior and His birth. So we come to Luke chapter 2, um, and we'll look in just a moment at, at why we spend so much time in Luke around Christmas. There's a reason we do that. Uh, so if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Our Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, give us understanding, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. Uh, Lord, that these are more than just words on a page, more than just the, the familiar things that we, we hear about every year, but Lord, that they would penetrate our hearts, that we would have understanding, that these things would live in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Luke chapter 2, and be reading from 22 through 35. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Just as an aside for the Sunday school class, what do we see here? We see the Holy Spirit and we see the Lord and his Christ. That is the Trinity. Sorry for those of you who weren't in Sunday school, shame on you for not being there. But we're studying the Trinity in the next couple of weeks. So there you have an example of the presence of the Trinity. Sorry. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also." So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is Christ. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, if we were doing chronologically, this obviously would be after Christmas, but um, I wanted to do it today. So we get it today, all right? The average person spends five years of their life 
waiting in line. What's waiting in line? What do you do when you wait in line? Well, now we have phones that we can play games on. But just think, waiting in line. If you live in a high traffic area, it's even longer by a third. If you were to live in Los Angeles or around New York and wanted to drive in and out of town, you'd have to wait much longer. 43 days of your life are spent on hold listening to that nice music. Okay? We spend time waiting in the doctor's office. One time, I went to the, this was years ago, I went to the dermatologist to get something, you know, burned off, frozen off. And, and it was right after lunch, and I figure I'm, I'm in. You know, I'm in and out. I got stuff to do. I'm in. I was in the little room for 45 minutes, and I think, is there a dermatological emergency somewhere? Uh, or, or, you know, they backed up. So I decide, well, you know, I've got, you know, I've got things to do. So I get up and to leave, and I open the door, and there stands the dermatologist. Wait, and so what was I going to do? Oh, I'm waiting for you. Come on in. You know, uh, so we spend our time waiting. The doctor's office, the dentist's office, waiting for our coffee to brew. You know, it doesn't brew any faster. You sit there and stare at it. It just doesn't, doesn't go any faster. We wait to, in the car line to pick up our kids. We wait for the hot water to replenish after our teenagers have taken showers. Okay? I remember those days. We wait for the dog who's got to sniff every sniff out there. Okay? And you think you're going for a walk. You're really going for a sniff. Okay? That's what you're doing. We wait, we wait for kind words from people. We wait for apologies for people. We wait for people to get their stuff together and live like they should live because we know that they know better, but what we're waiting for them to figure it out. We wait for a tax refund. We wait and we wait and we wait. But, there's that great word, but. Isaiah 40 tells us what? They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. There's a long history in Scripture of waiting on the Lord. Again, i got my time frame, but the Lord has his, and his is perfect. Genesis 3.15, we see the first thing that looks like a promise about the coming of the Messiah. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. But there's a lot of waiting between this event in Genesis and the coming of the one who would overcome death. It's a long wait off. So Lamech names his son Noah in the hopes that he's going to save his entire line from sin and death. 600 years go by before Noah entered the ark. And when the Lord told him to build the ark, he still had 120 years work. You know, I want you to build an ark. Okay, I'll have it done in 120 years because that's when the Lord's time was. God promised he would make Abraham a great nation. Offspring like the sands of the shore, the stars of the sky, 25 years. He had to wait for the fulfillment of that promise in Isaac. Isaac had to wait 20 years before his boys, Esau and Jacob, were born. Jacob worked seven years, and he got the wrong wife. So he had worked seven more years to get the right wife. Joseph was 17 when his brothers sold him into slavery. It was 22 years before he figured out exactly why they had sold him into slavery, and he saved his entire family. Moses spent 40 years getting ready for what the Lord had for him to do. Naomi, who was well past the the, the time of her husband's death, 
was, had to wait upon the actions of Boaz to see if he would be the kinsman redeemer and Mary Ruth, who was the mother of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Hannah endured years and years of barrenness before Samuel was born. David waited 17 years after being anointed king before he was actually the king. And he never saw the promised son who would sit on his throne forever. That would be the Christ. Now, if you count the genealogies, and and remember that the scripture is a theological book, and it gives us the genealogies for theological reasons, some 4,000 years between Genesis and the hint that the Messiah would come and the coming of the Messiah. Just waiting around for Jesus to come. The Psalms are filled with cries of the Lord. How long, O Lord, shall we wait? But there's also filled with cries of blessing for those who do wait. And what happens for those who wait upon the Lord? Psalm 13, Psalm 130, 33, 37, 40, goes on and on and on. But as I said, time is not really an issue for the Lord. I mean, time is our issue. He stands outside of time. Remember, Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. If we were going to, you know, the quip is God is seldom early, but he's never late because his timing is perfect. We have our agenda. The Lord has his. Whose do you want? The perfect one or yours? Okay, I want the perfect one. Remember, the Ancient of Days measures times by millennia, 2 Peter chapter 3. So this brings us to our individual today. Our individual of interest, and his name is Simeon. Luke describes Simeon as a righteous man, a pious man, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the Messiah to come. When he sees the Messiah, he takes him in his arms and he utters what, what is known in, in Latin as the nunc dimittis. Okay, Jeremy knows that, I'm sure, because it's a song. I hope you know it. I didn't ask you, I couldn't find a good tune for it, so I, I, I didn't want to sing it. But there are five infancy songs in the Gospels. Four of them are found in Luke. Things like the Magnificat, Mary's song, okay? Uh, the Benedictus, Zachariah's song. So we see this when something great happens, when something new happens, people sing a song, okay? They write a new song because it is a time of celebration, um, So tradition tells us that Simeon was the son of Hillel. Hillel was probably the most famous uh, rabbi of his time. He was a Jewish scholar. He was uh, associated with the development of the Mishnah and the Talmud. He was the first rabbi to get the title Rabban, which is the highest title that they could bestow upon a Jewish teacher. It said that Simeon succeeded his father as, in a sense, the president of the school that Hillel found, founded, and that was the Jewish school. But whatever his, his familiar ties were, we know that he was a pious man. He was looking for the Messiah because the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And the Lord had told him, you won't die until you see the consolation of Israel, the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament that he had studied all those years under his father's tutelage. He was aware of those teachings. Isaiah in particular, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 49, 
52, 53, the suffering servant song, uh, 57, that, that the Lord is going to come and he's going to comfort Israel. He's going to fulfill his promise. He does not leave them out by themselves. He has not totally abandoned him. He will send the fulfillment of his promises in the person of his son. So Simeon was a, a Jew who was full of faith. We'll call him a faithful Jew, one who really believed um, and, and we see some of that in the Old Testament. We call that the remnant, those who are not just Jews by name, but Jews by faith, who trust in the Lord and, and have great confidence that he will, in his perfect time, fulfill all of his promises. So why is Simeon mentioned in Luke only? We get back to why we spend so much time in Luke when we look at the birth of Christ. Well, one of the most important aspects of the Gospel of Luke is that it contains so many mentions and so many aspects of the infancy, what we call the infancy narrative, the time of Christ's uh, announcement of his birth and, and the coming and all those things associated around there. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, relative to the economy of Scripture, so much of Luke is given in the early chapters is given to these things. If we look at the first verse of chapter 1 in Luke, it says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of these things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. So what we get from this is Luke, who was a physician, and we hope that he was very attentive to things, was attentive to history. And he wanted to have the history right. So he talked to eyewitnesses about these events. Now, there are only so many eyewitnesses about the birth of Christ. So odds are he had some conversations with Mary okay, about these things and about exactly what happened during these days. I think that's why Mary figures pretty prominently in the things of Luke as well. So back to Simeon. As is normal in Scripture, it doesn't give us everything that we'd like to know about him, but it gives us what's important to know about him. Okay, a man of great devotion. He was a righteous man, and God had somehow given him some particular special revelation that Christ, the Christ child was coming and that he would see him, that he would not die until he had laid his eyes upon Christ. So we don't know how often Simeon came to the temple, but I'm going to make an assumption that it was every day because somehow he knew that Christ would come to the temple, uh, the Christ child in this, in this instance. Um, so he was there probably most of the time uh, looking for this child. The consolation of Israel, which is one of the titles that is given to Christ. So odds are he became a fixture in the temple. Now, I grew up in a little town called Houston, and we had this one bridge, um, and it was one of those old bridges that, you know, lasts forever, it seems, uh, a concrete bridge, and there was a guy who sat on the bridge, and I think that was his calling in life. As I grew up, Joe was always sitting on the bridge, and I asked my dad, Dad, who's that? Oh, that's Joe, the bridge sitter, and, uh, you know, he probably... Uh, whatever else was going on is in his, his mind, he just liked to sit on the bridge and watch the traffic go by. So he was a fixture there in Houston. And then, of course, one day he's gone and, and you know, as a little kid, I was like, where'd Joe go? And my dad said, well, he must have passed away. And 
Sure enough. So we think that Simeon became a fixture in the temple. So at the time of the birth of Christ, Jerusalem's already old. Uh, And what do we like to do in old cities? We like to go and tour, right? So beyond the fact that there was a temple there and you had to go to the temple to do sacrifices and on the uh, Passover you had to come and, and do all those things, Jerusalem is what we would call a tourist spot today. Okay, and even way back then, and, and as I did the research, I found that there were actually tour guides who, I'm sure for a small fee, uh, would take you around and show you some of the things of Jerusalem. Hey, I'm from out of town. What can you show me? Uh, well, for $10, I will show you, you know, all the highlights. Because remember, Herod the Great had built a lot of stuff. Okay, he had built a lot of stuff. The temple was fabulous. So they were getting the highlights. And as you can imagine, they would go by the temple and there would be this old guy. And they say, well, who's this old guy hanging out by the temple? Oh, that's Simeon. He's here every day. Simeon, what are you doing? Well, I'm waiting for the Messiah. Now, if you were Jewish, you had heard about this. You had heard that he would come. And, and, but you get in your mind, you think he's going to come in your life. We've been waiting. The Lord has been silent for 400 years. Okay, the intertestamental period from the last prophet until John the Baptist. 400 years of silence. The Lord has said nothing to his people. And you think you're going to be here when the Messiah comes and says, yes, the Lord has told me. I will be here. I will see the anointed one. So he was in the temple every day. Well, what were Joseph and Mary and Jesus doing at the temple at that particular day? Well, this goes back into the Old Testament and some of the rituals that were to be performed for a child that was born. This was the eighth day, so he was to be circumcised on the eighth day. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 4 that the sign of circumcision included, among some other things, the sign of righteousness by faith. Okay, remember, Paul elaborates, it's not the sign that saves you, it is the faith that saves you. But circumcision was a rite that involved cutting. So this had two, twofold significance. One, to be cut off from the rest of the world. They were devoted unto the Lord, okay, as an entire people. Uh, so the, the laws and the, the rituals were designed to keep them separate in a lot of ways to the Lord and separate away from the rest of the world. Of course, we see how that worked out. They didn't keep those things. They are married. It just went downhill. Um, but it was also a sign of inclusion within the covenant. And we see Abraham was circumcised when he was some 80, Isaac on the eighth day. Okay, it's an inclusion. It does not guarantee salvation in the same way that the sign that has been transferred to the New Testament, infant baptism, does not save the infant. Okay, only Christ saves the infant. Only faith in Christ, that proclamation of faith, is the sign of salvation. The baptism is a sign of inclusion within the covenant family, that they are set apart, that they are to be raised in the love and admonition of the Lord, to be taught those things, to have every opportunity to hear them. Uh, Only Christ alone saves. Now, so they came to the temple on this day, uh, for that reason, but also because when you, um, the first male child to open the womb is devoted to the Lord. 
Okay, that goes back into the Old Testament. And to, to carry through with this ritual, you had to offer a sacrifice. Typically, it was a lamb. Unless you were poor, then you were offered, as it says, some, some turtle doves and, and birds, etc. Um, so the presentation of the firstborn to the Son of God, that dedication to, to, uh, to set apart for his work, was, in a sense, a, a tie to the redemption of people. Now we know that Christ redeems. So why did Christ have to go through this? Well, understand that Joseph and Mary were just being good Jewish parents. And this is what you did. So Christ did not need redeemed from anything. But he goes through this this legal circumstance as a requirement of the law. So they have brought him to the temple on this day. And guess who's there at the temple? Well, it's Simeon. Because he has been waiting and he has been waiting and and it doesn't say how long it just says he has been waiting so when mary and joseph brought jesus to do what the law said simeon interrupts them and this is the verse 29 begins what we call the the nunc dimittis his song lord now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word But my eyes have seen the revelation. My eyes have seen the fulfillment of the promise of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says, Flesh and blood had not revealed unto Simeon that he saw God's salvation in that babe, which he took out of the arms of Mary and embraced with eager joy. God's grace had taught him that this was the Savior. God's grace at the same time loosened the cords which bound him to earth and made him feel the attractions of the better land, heaven. Blessed is the man who has received thy grace, a meekness for heaven, and a willingness to depart to that better land. Let him magnify the Lord who has wrought so great a work in him. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words. My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon did not have to live through the life of Christ. He did not have to see Christ come into his ministry some 30 years later. He didn't have to see the miracles. He did not have to hear him preach. He did not have to see him give his life on a cross. Nor did he have to see him rise on the third day and see that body that had come out of the grave. He said, I have been promised by the Lord. Now I have seen the fulfillment of all. All of my life, what I have been waiting for. He says, I can die now. I can die now. Paul says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Simeon had lived. Now he could die. As Spurgeon said, in a sense, he had loosed the bonds of his tie to this earth. No longer was it important for him to be here. He had held in his own hands the Savior of mankind. We think about the words that he says to Mary here. Some of these are great words. Some are very hard for Mary. Remember, Mary pondered these things in her heart Remember from the words of the angels. She also hears these things. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, 
so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Appointed for the fall and the rising. We see later that he is the stumbling block. Many will stumble over Christ. They will see him. They will hear him. They will not believe. And in their unbelief, the sin in their soul is revealed. I can't think that perhaps he is also talking about um, perhaps the time when Mary stands beneath the cross and sees the, the heart of Jesus pierced here. And her very heart is pierced in the death of her son. Jesus, the one that Simeon gets to hold. The fulfillment of the promise that was made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. He was the one who would crush Satan's head and overcome death. I think he was worth the wait for Simeon. So what are you waiting on? What are the things in life that you just, you just can't, you, you want to push? And, and, and Lord, I want you to do this. Lord, I want you to take care of this. And, and, and are you waiting for him to come and fulfill those things that he has promised? And, and sometimes the fulfillment and the wait will take your entire life. Sometimes you will continue to seek the Lord and ask him, Lord, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? And he says, in my perfect time, in his perfect time, may not be for years yet to come. And that doesn't change how we are to wait. We are to wait in the sure hope that he fulfills his word. The sure and certain hope. Now, those things seem like an oxymoron. How can you have hope and it be sure and certain? Because the hope that he gives us is based upon the character of our Heavenly Father and the finished work of Jesus Christ. So the hope, the promises that he has made are sure and certain. Just like Simeon knew. He says, now I can loose the bonds of this earth. I have seen the Savior. So have you seen the Savior? You may have heard about Jesus, but have you seen him? Do you believe? This is the time of year in particular to know that Christ has come into this world for a purpose. And the fulfillment of that purpose comes in Easter as he gives his life that you may know the forgiveness of sins. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and and like Simeon, we wait. And there might be things in our lives People that we have prayed for for years. People that we know who know better. They know the truth. And we wait for their eyes to be opened. Situations in our own lives that we have grown frustrated with. That we can't seem to come to a conclusion with. We wait for your actions there. Things within our own hearts, our lack of patience, our lack of forgiveness, our lack of whatever. We wait for you to bring mercy and grace to our hearts. For you have called us to a different life. A life where you are glorified in our actions. A life where we follow your word. Your word lights a path for us that we would walk down it. Heavenly Father, in this season of Advent, we wait. 
and, and we, we know that Christ has come. But yet we wait for that joyous day when we celebrate it. That joyous day when God comes to earth, the incarnate babe. We are thankful, Lord, that we get to hear these things and pray that you would open our eyes and ears and hearts, that they would not just be knowledge, but they would take root. They would be faith. They would be the purpose of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.